the manifold grace of God. Uh, Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. The diverse grace of God. Uh, It talks about how we are custodians, stewards, those who are responsible for um, the management of it, if you will. the, The care of and use of. Uh, this idea of God's grace. It's, uh, grace is something that I don't think we really could ever talk about enough, certainly something that we want to understand on a theological level, but also to recognize on a practical level. Uh, in other words, what grace means internally, what it means to us personally, but also then how it finds expression in our uh, interactions with one another, our living out our Christian lives uh, around other believers, non-believers. What does it mean to be um, to understand grace, but then to be gracious. Um, matter of fact, the word gift here, if I remember correctly in verse 10, is actually the same root word as the word grace. Uh, the idea of uh, charisma and charis and this kind of thing, uh, building on this concept of grace, not only as a, um, uh, as a theological and even soteriological, the idea of understanding what the scripture says, and in particular in relation to salvation, but also in regard, in regard to how we live it out. Um, it's important to understand grace from a theological perspective uh, and also how it touches on the idea of our salvation. Um, grace is God's, um, simply put, it is God giving us what we don't deserve. You know, the Bible tells us that we're all sinners, uh, even dead in sin. We are rooted and steeped in sin. It doesn't mean we're as sinful as we could ever be all the time, but we are by nature and definition, sinners. And so therefore, if we're going to have any hope at all with God, it has to be by his grace. As a matter of fact, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter uh, 3, we're familiar with Romans 3.23, but let me go ahead and read verses 21 through 26 to give us really a good sense of what grace is and why it means everything to us. Uh, but now righteous, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the passage we're probably most familiar with. But it goes on in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate uh, his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So just to kind of briefly explain what that means and why this is so important to believers, um, the concept of grace cannot be overstated. The Uh, experiencing of grace in terms of God's bestowing it upon us and, uh, and, and gracing us, if you will, that we might be free from the penalty of our sin through the finished work of Christ is the central feature of the gospel. So here in Romans chapter three, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Now, of course, a lot could be said on this. The book of Romans centers on this concept, uh, primarily the idea of a righteousness that is apart from the law. 
Uh, in Galatians, very succinctly, Paul in chapter 3 speaks of how the, the reason for the law was that the law would lead us to the person of Christ, keeping us, as it were, walking between the lines, that we might ultimately recognize the Savior and our need for him, since we cannot be justified by our own works. It's impossible for us to be made right by virtue of the law. And so Paul here in Romans talks about the idea of a righteousness, uh, the righteousness of God that is apart from the law. And it even talks about how the law and the prophets spoke of this righteousness. In other words, this is not a New Testament concept alone. This is actually the message of the Old Testament as well. The righteousness of God that comes by faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, meaning that we are all guilty. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have been therefore justified freely by his grace, not through our works, but through his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation is a big word, but it means that in Christ, the, 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 the righteous anger of God against sin and sinners was ultimately reconciled by the blood of Christ. Uh, it was satisfied. That indignation, that righteous, just uh, anger against sin and everything was dealt with in the person of Christ. Well, this obviously is all God's doing. Nothing about that is our doing. Uh, the only part we had in it at all is the crucifying part, the part that put to death the Son of God. We're all guilty of the sin that he bore on his shoulders when he took it to the cross. Again, uh, so love quoting Paul in Second Corinthians 5.21. He made him, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is why, if you look at you know places like Ephesians chapter 2, um, I turn to it and I read it because I just want people to turn to these passages and be familiar with them. Um, for many of us, this is a passage we've heard many, many, many times, but it, it just bears going to and reading and, and, and making sure people know where this passage is. But in Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died needlessly, or he died for nothing, Galatians 2, 21. The idea here that God's grace is the basis by which we have a right relationship with God. It is entirely a gift from him. It is not earned. It is not won over. It is not achieved. It is not something that we uh, have anything to do with. The only thing is that we simply have received it. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we're thankful for the gift of God, which is grace and salvation. This is his gift to us. This is nothing we do to earn. So grace is a theological truth that we must understand, uh, that we must understand so that we know that we're saved, but also so that we present a gospel that can save. If we present a gospel that, that preaches works as a means of achieving it, then we have a false gospel, and that's not the gospel of Scripture, but rather instead to understand that it is by God's grace and God's grace alone. Well, grace is not only the theological truth upon which we stand with the understanding that we have a right standing with God. But grace also finds expression. Uh, grace is not simply that which was given to us in regard to our salvation, but also we are graced with various gifts. Again, back in First Peter chapter 4, uh, look again at, at the passage here. He says, as each one has received a gift, again, uh, fundamentally that root word there speaks of this idea of grace. We have been graced 
and therefore minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This grace of God that is massively diverse finds expression in many, many different ways. We have been given gifts within that realm of God's gifting or gracing. And so therefore minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now think about that. Minister it to one another as good stewards. In other words, it's not ours just to keep and to hold on to and just to know it's there, but it's intended to be shared, given, ministered to one another. As a matter of fact, he uses a couple of examples here in verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles or the utterings of God. Uh, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which uh, God supplies. The idea of ministering is the idea of serving one another. Do so uh, with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion or sovereignty forever and ever. Amen. In other words, since God gives us these giftings, he has graced us with abilities um, uh, and such to, to use in the ministry to one another, since we are reliant fully on him, not only for the grace that saves and the grace upon which we stand, but also the grace through which we serve. When we utilize those giftings and we allow the grace of God to flow through us in the use of the gifts and ministering to one another, he's glorified in this. Uh, grace is so profoundly rich and pervasive, and we want to be familiar both in terms of our understanding but also in terms of our living it out and allowing it expression through our lives. Uh, ultimately, even as Peter says here in verse 11, that God might be glorified, that he would be worshiped, that he would be given glory and credit. Um, as a matter of fact, Paul would talk to this in some detail when he talks about things like the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, or also in Romans, where he talks about the idea of the giftings that have been given to us that are not for ourselves, per se. I mean, you could argue the gift of tongues, for example, would be a gift you could be personally edified through the use of. But really, the gifts, by and large, when they are used openly, are intended to be used for the benefit of others. Uh, it is to serve one another, be a blessing and a benefit to one another, or to be a witness of God for others to see, uh, or hear, as the case might be. And so the idea of utilizing these things for the glory of God is something that is not only the, the rich privilege, but, but even the responsibility. The call here in Scripture is to use these things with, for one another in the service of ministry. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Hebrews uh, chapter, was it chapter uh, 9, 10? I didn't, uh, I just was thinking about this right now. I didn't really mark it to go to as part of what I was thinking about talking about here. But um, Anyway, it speaks about not uh, forsaking the gathering together of the saints, as is the practice of some, but rather to, um, uh, to um, provoke one another to love and good works. Uh, now, this is something that, um, um, oh, where was it here? I know I, here we go. Um, Let us draw near with a, uh, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Um, uh, uh, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider one another. The word there, consider, means to provoke, to stir up, to incite, uh, to drive people to the point of wanting to 
and fill in the blank and whenever that term is used. But here, it would be to love and good works. That is what being together and allowing the grace of God to flow through us as we minister to one another, this is the product of that. This is the fruit of that. Um, imagine a church, and, and, and frankly, I'm, I'm thankful to say I can imagine a church. I get to see it every Sunday where people love the Lord, are, are allowing the grace of God to flow, and they're serving one another, blessing one another. That's what a body ought to be. And, and of course, we all can grow in this. I'm not saying every, anybody's got a perfect church. But as, a, as, a, uh, as an expression of what God is doing in us and among us, God's grace is a beautiful thing to behold. And so, um, just part of my devotional today, just thinking about it and, and mulling some of these rich truths over about the grace of God. I have to admit, when I talk about the grace of God, I am most often, most like 99% of the time when it comes up uh, for me personally, it tends to be discussing grace from that salvation aspect, the idea of, of the gospel of grace. I don't, uh, I don't spend as much time thinking about, um, uh, hopefully now I will, uh, more and more, but I, I don't often spend quite the same amount of time thinking about what that looks like lived out as we grace one another, as we allow the grace of God to flow through us. I'm reminded of in first uh, in John's uh, chapter one, uh, John's gospel chapter one and verse fourteen, um, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, verse eighteen talks about how the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. And so, here he, we have in the person of Christ this beautiful. Um, uh, uh, apex example, uh, the the ultimate crescendo of what God's grace looks like when it is bestowed by his hand, but also when it is lived out in expression. Uh, no more gracious person ever lived than Jesus himself. And grace, of course, comes through his finished work on the cross. It flows freely now because we're sin-abounded. Grace now, because of the finished work of Christ, abounds all the more. So, um, grace, things to think about beyond just, I, would, I don't want to say simply and make it sound like I'm diminishing the foundational importance of it, but grace that doesn't stop with the salvation element of it, but also finds its way out in the expression part of it. So God help us to not only understand grace and embrace it in terms of our own salvation, but also to allow him to embrace us and to allow his grace to flow through us to one another. Uh, imagine a church that was fully gracious to one another, loving, forgiving, harboring no bitterness, uh, holding no grudges, any of those kinds of things, but rather having f- having fully received the grace of God to bestow it freely as well. That is a beautiful environment to be in. So God help us to all be that. Father, we thank you and praise you for the goodness and the grace that you have shown us. We thank you that you've set us free from our sin through the finished work of your son, Jesus. We thank you that as God in the flesh, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we thank you that not only that, but also your grace flows through us. It is a given expression when we demonstrate that grace to one another, when we minister to one another with the idea of lifting up, building up, and edifying those around us, Father. We want to be instruments and vessels of your grace. We want to be those whom can be gracious like you are uh, in our interactions with one another. 
Father, help us toward that end and work within us to to chip away at anything that would keep that from flowing freely, Any uh, anything that dams up the reservoir of the free flow of grace uh, in and through our lives. We pray that you would break that down, that you would destroy it and allow that grace to flood like a river from us to those around us. Thank you, Father, for the grace that you've shown us, unmerited, unwarranted, um, unachieved, unearned, but yet given freely. Again, where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. So thank you, Father, for this. We love you and praise you and would ask you once again to help us to be gracious like you are. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name.